turn with me, if you will, to Matthew. As today, I'm going to speak to you living for divine priorities. And I want to read two verses to you, and then we'll get ready to scan the whole chapter. Listen to Matthew 6, 33. We've looked at God as a generous God. We looked last week at the danger of riches. They can be a lion that devours you, uh, or water that drowns you. You just got to have the wisdom to know how to handle when God gives you possessions. But look at what Jesus says in what is said to be the greatest sermon, the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Um, Listen to what he says in verse 33. But seek last his kingdom. What? Oh. But give what's left over to his kingdom. Give nothing to his kingdom. No, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Now we'll have to find out what all these things are. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? Look at Proverbs as a cross-reference. Proverbs Chapter 3, it seems like Jesus and wisdom hang out together. Uh, Listen to this verse. Chapter 3, verse uh, 9. Are you there? The Lord doesn't need to be honored with your wealth. Dishonor the Lord with your wealth. Did they ever dishonor him? You remember Malachi? They offered him the lame, the blind, the diseased. And he said, you're giving to me what you wouldn't give to your governor. You're giving to me what you wouldn't give to your best friend. You're giving me the leftovers, that which you can't eat by the law. You're giving me that which is rubbish. He said, I wish you'd turn out the lights at the tabernacle and quit making it obnoxious to me. So here he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, uh, with the first fruits of all your crops. And you say, ooh, I'm off there. I don't have any crops. Well, let's translate it with whatever you got, whatever your wages are giving you, whatever income God gives you. Then your barns, and you're saying, what's it? Well, ooh. I'm glad I don't have any barns. Do you have a bank account? You got to think a little and translate this. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. There's a theme I want to get over to you, and if you just remember the letter P, you might get it. God's promises, God promises. His provision, his peace, his power, and his presence to those who seek his priorities. God doesn't want to prosper you to seek just your priorities. If you seek God's priorities, he guarantees you his provision, he guarantees you peace, he guarantees to you power guarantees to you provision. He said, but I must be your top priority. I must be first in your life. If I'm first, you got it made. Other things will fall into place. Now, let's look at Matthew. Chapter 5, Christ begins to unfold that the kingdom he is offering is greater than the rabbinical kingdom the Jews knew at that time. That it's going to be different. 
It's not going to be based upon external religious things, but it's going for the heart. You hunger for me in your heart. You admit your poverty of spirit. You're, you're thirsting for God. And he goes through, and he tells them, I want you to be salt and light. Uh, my righteousness is greater than that that the rabbis are teaching. They teach you, don't uh, commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even think about it. See, the law would stone you if you did the act. Jesus is going back. Your Christian life is lived between your ears before you do anything. Uh, the law says, you know, don't kill. I'm saying don't hate. I'm going back to attitude. I'm going back to what you think about. You may not have the nerve to do half the crimes you want to do. But if you want to do them, you're getting credit for doing them in God's sight. What you're lusting after, God sees. What you hate, he sees. And he's going through here, and he said, murder, I don't want you doing that. Adultery, no. Divorce. Under the rabbis, you could divorce a woman for anything. All the power of divorce was in the hand of the man. If she, we have rabbinic literature. If you ever read Erdersheim, The Life of Christ, if she burnt the bread, he had grounds for divorce. I'm glad that has not applied in my marriage. We always have to remember the bread. I mean, over. And according to the law, it was over. You didn't need to go to a divorce court. It was over. The power was with the man. If you withhold your body, divorce. Anything. It, it was brutal. And, of course, the women bore the brunt of such uh, rabbinic male-dominated theology. And Jesus said, hey, hey, you, you can't divorce a person just because you've got incompatible differences. We all have incompatible differences. That's why you get married, to work them out. And by the time you get them down, you'll be going to heaven. <laughs> and the church that's married said, amen. amen. I just had a salesman, a young girl back in South Carolina. She said, are you married or happy? <laughs> Whoa, I'm not going to tell you where I went. Okay. <laughs> and, and so, uh, eye for an eye. You should not get vengeance. Don't take oaths. Love your enemies. Then he goes to chapter 6, and he said, If you have children of my kingdom, uh, I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I want you to be good to poor people, but I don't want you to blow a trumpet when you give something to the poor. Uh, don't be in open meetings where I give a thousand. He doesn't want, he doesn't want that to be your motive. Hypocrisy comes from a Greek word to wear a mask to play a role. Don't play religious activity. Don't try to look good. And it's real hard in church just to be who you are. It's real hard in the pulpit because everybody holds you on a pedestal or they can't stand you, and you try to match up to everybody. How about just being what you are, a safe sinner? We know every week people are critiquing preachers. And you know what I get? Carol and I have talked about this. I, I, I'll be amazed if any of you talk about the sermon one hour after I preach it, and you don't know what you heard the last two weeks because we're not chewing on the word. We're chewing on the preacher. We're saying what we like and don't like. Do you know what was said? That's the test. Well, I know what was said. You won't be changed by sermons. You'll be changed by God's voice. God talking to you. All right, we haven't got to the sermon, so don't get too quiet. You, you have, any, have no right to be that convicted. Let's keep going. He says, I need to teach my people how to pray. He picks up that verse 5. He said, I don't want you praying like the rabbis. And, and people that are saying, Jesus, 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 and vain repetition, vain repetition. Praying the prayer wheel like in Tibet, going through the rosary. Repetition, repetition. You know, the Bible never tells you how long you should pray. It never tells you how loud you should pray. It didn't tell you how emotionally. He said, pray. And what God's more interested in your prayer life 
is not the emotion or the length, but the categories you pray about. What do you pray about? And he said, let me teach you what to pray about. First thing you ought to be concerned when you pray is that I get to talk to my father and I want to hallow him. I want to treat him as holy and say, you know what, Lord, I showed up because I want your kingdom first. I want your priorities first. I've come to talk about you first. Some people don't pray unless they do this. It's gotten so bad we started praying. It got that bad. What about it got so good I had to pray? I'm talking to a father. I'm going to my father. Uh, you know, I told the men yesterday, uh, the Lord told me to uh, ask my wife how I'd be a better husband, and I was a little shocked that she had some suggestions. <laughs> I thought she would just say, honey, you're the world's best. No, since you brought it up, let me tell you. And she's been sharing with me a little thing that she read in an article that said every marriage needs seven good hugs a day. Seven hugs a day. Think of that in your prayer life. Do you hug God seven times a day? Do you just tell him you love him? That, that he's there. Well, Jesus said, I've got to teach people to pray. You don't, you don't know how to pray when you get saved. You don't know how to pray. Uh, how many of you prayed today? Uh, give me daily bread. Now, they, daily bread then... Uh, was a, they, see, we've got Costco and second refrigerators. They depended every day on getting enough to get by. There was no meat in their diet. It was all grain. So they made what you would think of as a, uh, uh, like a tortilla or maybe think of pizza dough because they didn't have access to meat as a whole. Grapes, they'd get that, figs, and grain. And uh, talking about... Uh, Praying for daily bread. Have any of you ever had to pay, pray for daily bread? Let me read something to you. Uh, I was looking up something, uh, and my sister, she wrote a book, and, and uh, I looked up something, and uh, anybody alive in uh, 1936? Okay. Um, well, she's writing, 1936. My folks came from Kansas to Visaya, California. And this is what Hazel writes. It's 1936. It was during this time Mom and Daddy were chopping cotton for 75 cents a day. Not an hour. A day. And by the time David came... They put him on the cotton sack and pulled him in the field because they couldn't afford babysitters. How many of you ever made 75 cents a day? Okay. So my folks were considered white trash that invaded California. That Strombach said, they're the grapes of wrath people. They had a sign that Ken Burns said over the theaters that they use a racial slur for black people, and they said, these black people and the racial slur, and Okies said here. That's what California, good old liberal California, thought about my people. We don't want you. We don't want you if you're from Alabama, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Virginia. Stay out of our state. You're white trash. You're grapes of wrath people. You don't bring anything but hunger. We don't want you. So they put the L.A. police down in Needles, California, and started charging them when they came over the border, and they had no cash. So she's writing of these people. She said, uh, they, I remember them saying how they would stop to rest for a minute, leaning on their hose and looking up at the snow-capped mountains of the Sierras and drinking in the beauty of their new home. Granny Pryor... David knows her, would see to Paul and me, and this continued for the summer. Get this now, get this. During that summer, Mama took a few cents of their pay and bought a new serving bowl from the five and ten store for a kitchen. 
She was so proud of that bowl. I can remember how happy I was because Mama had got herself a new bowl. Remember, she'd been forced to dispose of practically all of her things when they made the move. She only had one drum full of personal effects left in El Dorado, Kansas, to be shipped when they could afford it. So this was Mama's red-letter day. She got a new bowl from the 5 and 10. Do you think those kind of people could pray for daily bread? Have any of you uh, nearly starved? He tells this story. Around nine years old, my dad was working in Washington. He'd go to Washington, Paducah. When the iron workers got rained out on the West Coast, he'd go to other states to work. There was uh, five of us at home. David was nine years old. My mother got a hold of him. David, you're kneeling with me in the front room. We have no food in this house. I'm not going to feed you unless God provides. Let's get on our knees. They pray. Talk to David after the service. Before they got up, the door knocked. The food was there. They fed our family for another week. Learn to pray daily for food. And don't become arrogant because you got three refrigerators and you got a Costco card. Remember where you came from, Israel. For when you get vineyards, you didn't plant, and wells, you didn't dig, you're going to forget me. We're battling against people who are prosperous in America who at the same time are forgetting God because poverty has a way of getting your attention. It did for thousands. Well, he wants to teach us to pray. Most of us don't know how, so you've got to attend the Jesus Seminar. And he teaches us how to pray. Then he teaches us something else that's a lost art. He taught us people how to fast. And I, I seldom meet a Christian that fasts anymore. I grew up with people that fasted and prayed. And, and Jesus said, you should do this fasting, not while I'm with you, but when I go back to heaven, I want you to fast and pray. When's the last time you lost a meal because you were pursuing God? Are you having weight problems? Um, then he goes into something after fasting. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, this is right in the middle of his sermon. And this, sure enough, see, I got the red letter edition this morning. This is Jesus talking. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a great principle. Money, heart, they hang out together. Money, heart. If I see where you spend your money, I can tell you what you love or what's on your mind the most. Money, heart. Now, Jesus said, wherever you put your treasure, your heart will follow. Okay. But it's heart, treasure. We spend our money, we spend our time, we spend our energy on the things that have captured our heart. Right? I didn't hear you. Right? Uh, Dino Ledesma and I, uh, a dear brother in this church, uh, gave us tickets to a warrior game. Uh, more of you should do this. But uh, anyway, this brother gave it, and we went there. We were kind of in kind of a nosebleed section, but it, we were up there. And uh, while we were there, we noticed three Latino men came in, and one looked a little bit older. Come to find out it was the dad who had driven out from New Jersey to be with his son that lived in Sacramento, and he brought his other son because the boy in Sacramento was going to give dad a birthday gift, take him to a Warriors game. Okay? They're going to the game. Dino and I are sitting there. Pretty soon, Dino and I noticed, man, they keep standing. It was like in the hallway. We said, uh, we went and said, hey, hey, man, uh, wh when do you, uh, where's your seat? Where are you going to sit down? 
They said, oh, oh, we didn't get a seat. I said, wait, wait, wait. You mean you're just standing there? Uh, and I probed because I'm nosy. I said, how much did these tickets cost you? I said, $270. I said, to stand for the whole game? She said, yeah. Dino and I begin to share our seat with them. I think I charged 20 bucks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we started saying, man, these guys need to get off their feet a little bit. Here a guy comes all the way from New Jersey. You know, treasures, you put your money. That boy wanted his dad at that game so bad because he treasured the Warriors, the winning streak. And said he, he obviously thought nothing of forking out $270 to tell his 55-year-old dad you get to stand for three hours and watch the world champions. See, if you love it, you can justify the money for it. You find that? You're on a budget till you find something you want? Oh, got quiet. Uh, so where, then he says, the eye, why does he go to the optometry department? He's talking about treasure. Now he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay. I mean, all light to the body comes through the eye gate. Okay. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Right. If I'm nearsighted, if I got cataracts, you know, if anything messes. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, it, if in the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Is he talking about your eyes? No, no, eyes is a Hebrew idiom for perspective, outlook. If your outlook is unhealthy, you won't see things right. Uh, outlook, prejudice, racism, uh, class, uh, play, the way we view people, the way we view, uh, some are negative, others are positive. Some are racist, and if you got the wrong pigmentation, and there is no wrong pigmentation, but in their worldview, there is. I can't stand, oh, your eyes are unhealthy. You can't see right. Now, Jesus just talked about money. Now he's talking about your outlook. Now watch what he says. He didn't just start talking optometry off the cuff because Jesus is wondering. He said, how do you view things? Now watch what he says. No one can serve two masters. Hmm, this sounds like a contest. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Wow, lighten up, Jesus. Give us a few more alternatives. No, he said, it's one of two worlds I'm talking to you about. These are religious Jews listening out on the mount. Yeah, you, the way you view things, either God is first or money is. They can't both be first. Who's first in your world? Who's first? Now he said, let me give you a cure to the human disease called worry. And he's going to give you seven reasons why you should not worry. Are you interested? We save you a lot of money now. No more value. No more pills. This will cure you. I know. This will cure you more than a pill. Because when you wake up and the pill has lost its effect, you'll still be worried. Okay. Hold on. This crowd is so sleepy. You see, you get ruined. You hear Matt, he's nice, Larry's nice. Like, I expect antiphonal preaching. Get with it. Kind of nod heavy if you agree. If not, I'm going to go longer. I, no, you're going to be penalized. Okay, I want us to see seven reasons why he doesn't want us to worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Number one, I don't want you to worry about externals like food and clothing because I care about you. And you are more than what you wear and you are more than what you eat. I care about you your thinking, your well-being, your health, 
I think about every aspect, your future, your past. I care for you. I'm not preoccupied with your wardrobe and your diet. I'm, I first of all love you. I care about you. Okay, let's go to the second thing, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, he uses a rabbinic teaching tool, lesser to greater. Are you not much more valuable than they? Aren't you more valuable than flowers? Flowers don't worry. Birds, I've never seen any of my birds taking volume. <laughs> I get mad at them every year. I only get a few apricots. I'm about to cut the tree down. We're just not getting apricots anymore. But what bugs me, by the time I get 20 apricots, two squirrels come and 13 birds. <laughs> and I'm saying, they don't pay my water bill. They don't fertilize it. And they don't worry. And God feeds them. Did you know God feeds every bird that's on the earth? Have you ever seen National Geographic when you see a million birds fill the sky? So I wonder what they're going to eat tonight. They hadn't even thought about it. And you're over here worried. We've only got 10 pounds of meat and 5 gallons of milk. What will we eat? Or you've only got five years' worth of clothes collected. What will I wear? <laughs> We're strange people. Notice verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Um, don't worry. It won't solve anything. Uh, and why do you worry about clothes? Any of you worry about clothes? How many of you have more clothes in your closet than you wear? Anybody? You know, most of you are existing on one pair of shoes. How many are down to one pair of shoes? Go. What, one pair? How many are up to ten? How many got more clothes than you can wear in a month? Yeah. But you know what? I don't have anything to wear. Uh, worry never solves problems. Verse 29 through 30, he says, I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Worry feeds on little faith and not aware that you have a father. But he said, if God could make flowers more beautiful than the wardrobe of Solomon, I mean, Beautiful flowers. I mean, when you see spring and the flower, say, God, you are an artist par excellence. You are an artistic God. The beauty, even a peacock, all those colors. And, and you, and, but you didn't die for peacocks. You didn't die for flowers. If I go to Muir Woods, I don't get down and start worshiping the redwood tree. I worship the God that made it. The God that made it. I worship the God of this vast variety of color and everything. And he said, hey, if I could expend all this creative beauty on flowers that are prettier than anything Solomon ever wore, won't I take care of clothing you? It's a small thing for me to do. Why are you worried? He says in verse uh, 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows 
that you need them. There's two kinds of people. If you don't have God as your father, you need to worry. You're headed for the lake of fire. A man or woman without God is going to the lake of fire. Is that true? Is the wrath of God being displayed to all who are holding down what might be known of God? He said in Romans 1, 18, a present tense verb, the wrath of God is being continuously revealed from heaven right now, right now, throughout the world against all men that are holding down what can be known about him. Sometimes we get sloppy. We say, well, God loves us all. He doesn't love us all the same way. What, what does it mean when he says he hates the wicked? Does God hate the wicked? I want to hear verbally. I can hear a little bit. Does God hate the wicked? But here's a favorite line we use. God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Well, what goes to hell, the sin or the sinner? God doesn't love everybody to the same. He's good to all men. He gives them rain, seasons, pregnancies, prosper. He gives many things. But the man, the wicked man, according to Psalm 1, he is like the chaff that is blown in the wind. And when he comes before a just God, he will not stand. For this God of John 3.16 would say, Depart from me, you wicked man that would never take my son and would never take me serious. Depart. This is an awesome, fearsome God. And he says over here, I don't want my people worried like pagans who have no true God, who have no heavenly Father. I want to ask you, people of God, do you have a heavenly Father in the third heaven? If you do, why are you worried? If you don't, worry, worry. It might get you to come to Christ. I just listened to R.C. Sproul. He just told, he was telling John MacArthur, he said, you know what? I just had two grown men in my church just came to Christ. And he said, guess what? They came because they were scared to death of eternity. And then Sproul made sure, he said, and I baptized them as adults. They had a debate. Do you baptize infants? Do you have a heavenly father? He said, if you do, it's an insult to worry. Can your father take care of you? What did your father think of you before you were born? You said, well, he didn't even know I was right. Oh, yeah. God starts out thinking in eternity. Did you know what? He said, I knew you before I made the stars. You know, if you don't believe that, you, you don't believe what he said. He said, I was thinking about you way back. Well, you're, where were you, God, before my mother ever conceived me? Well, I, I allowed the pregnancy. Matter of fact, I stepped in your mother's womb, and I wove you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I created your pigmentation, color of your eyes, color of your hair. Uh, even uh, I had something to do with the kind of IQ you'd wind up with. I've got a heavenly father. Then he finally, he said, no, not finally. When, uh, th third, he says, uh, if I'm first in your life, I'll give you everything you need. I promise to meet every need you have if you'll put me first. I'm your first priority. I, your kingdom, your righteousness, if you put me first, I'll see that those things the Gentiles who do not know me are worried about, worried about, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll meet that need. Now, sometimes, let, let's, let's ask ourselves, what do you have to give God? Some of you might say, I have no money. Oh, that's, no, I'm sorry you don't, but that won't make you exempt. You only have, you have only three things to give God. Three things. Your body, your time, and your possessions. Number one, let's ask this question. 
if God's first. Or is God first in your life? Well, let's, let's answer it this way. How much of your body is he getting? Does God use your body? Do, do you make your body available? What's he doing through you? Anything? He wants your body. Remember, he said, present to me your body. I want, I want to use your body. Oh, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What are you doing with your body that says God is number one? We should never have to beg for you to serve. See, the problem with money, evangelism, service, and why we beg so many times saints to do it, it's hard to get you to serve a God you don't love. It's hard to serve a God that you're not making first place in your heart. No, people that he is first find a way to use their body to promote him. They find time to promote him. But what's first in your life? What's first? What's first? Let's then time, time. Let's ask about time. Um, everybody's busy. If you live in the Bay Area, that equals busy. May not be going anywhere, but you're busy. I talk to retired people. How you doing now that you're uh, retired? I'm tired. I just, I'm busier than ever. What are you getting done? Nothing. But man, I'm busy. I'm so busy. Yeah. How many times do you shop a week? Oh, about four times. I need exercise. Well, you sure doing a lot of shopping. Is that what life's all about? Malls, spending? And I'm just, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I know. We went to a church called High Desert Church down in Southern Cal, and they have a goal. Get this. The, the goal for their members, it's called the five-hour goal. You ready? Here we go. Now, these are born again, blood-bought, uh, hell-canceled, going-to-heaven people. They have this goal. If we can get them to commit to five hours a week, we feel we have done a great service for them. Please break it out for us. I'm a little, duh, what's that mean? Well, they ought to attend at least one worship service a week, and we give that credit for an hour and a half. Boom. Showed up for worship. You got here. You know. And some of you, you come in so late, you've only worshiped about 30 minutes because you've got to get a donut and hang out in the lobby. Now, if it was your job, they'd fire you. But because it's God, you can drag in. God doesn't deserve to be, you know, honored with you showing up. We have this in both services. We start out, looks like ghost town. By the time we get up to preach, we have a congregation. Why are you dragging in all the time? Do we need to shut down the donut wheel? No, we need to get you revved up. You ought to come up. It's worship. It's a part of your hour and a half. Then, then, you ought to go to a small group where you ought to be there at least an hour and a half. We are up to three hours a week. Are you kidding? Three hours a week. What do you want? You guys go for skin, hide, and all. And then you need two hours a week where your body is made available to serve God in some way. Do something. Usher. Teach a class. Do this. Have, you know, we had a men's breakfast yesterday. A lot of guys. We had a great time. Wonderful group of men. But I, I always check the kitchen out because that's where the action is. It's where all the sisters hang out. you got to get along with the cooks. So I checked out. And there's one of our sisters. I would guess her weight, and I don't guess the weight of women, believe me. But she's a petite, frail woman. If she weighed 100 pounds, I'd be surprised. Her husband told me today she just has fractured a hip bone and she's in quite a bit of pain. But I looked in that kitchen and we had a great breakfast. And she's scrubbing a big pan that they used to fix the food. She never even looked, she didn't even know I was looking. But she was there, a frail, in pain woman 
We had other sisters in there. They made the meal. We did. Us men do the eating. They do the working. And I just said, Jesus, will she get a reward for that? Does this matter to you? Do you need women that love Jesus so much they'd wash the pans of a meal they gave to the men? Should Mary be rewarded? Jenny, on and on, all the women. Kathy Rasmussen, been living with cancer for years, out there serving. Kind of stupid for a Saturday morning when you're a busy American. But not if you love Jesus. This missionary is working in a leprosyum and a newspaper reporter came and came to them and said, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't do what you're doing for a million dollars a year. And the missionary said, I wouldn't either, but I'd do it for Jesus. Is there anything you're doing that Jesus is the reason? Where is God first? And then let's take our possessions. Possessions. Whoever taught you how to give? Grant Pinkston's a wonderful giver. Supports missions. He supports this and that. And I asked him one day, I said, where did you learn to give? He said, my dad and grandpa. They showed me how to give. You know where I learned to give? This girl in 36 that my sister she sat me down, 15, I decided for sure enough I'm going to live for the Lord. She said, come here, Philip, sit down. And being the oldest, believe me, she knew how to take charge. Sit down, sit down. I want to show you something. And she had a wallet. She was prepared. And she just put out a dollar. And then all of a sudden, she threw out a dime. I'd say, Philip, I want to teach you to give. I said, well, when, did I, when do you start that? She says, now, I didn't have any money. She said, uh, from now on, out of every dollar God gives you, you give him 10 cents minimum. I said, well, I haven't even prayed about it. She said, you don't need to pray about it. You need to do it. We couldn't even spell tithe, friend. Don't tell me about tithe. I know all about tithe, and I know what he did with Israel. Huh, what percentage do you want to start with? One? Let's measure what you give to how much he gave. Then settle your amount. You know what? I've never had givers ever complain about preaching on giving because they're doing it. It's all you folk that are sitting on your hands and your wallet. You're the ones that ought to be convicted. Don't come up and correct me about preaching. Don't you do it. Because I'm saying, you're a stingy non-giver, aren't you? Tell me what you give. Tell me what you give. It's the givers who tell me to speak on giving because they want you to be blessed. And she took that 15 years old, and I've kept all my ledgers. I've got them in my file. I've got my giving ledgers from 15 to 74. And I've been waiting for God to fail. And you know what? I can't keep up with his goodness. I can't, I can't keep up his goodness. And, and then, what my sister, let me tell you, I got a sister. She's in heaven now. You got to put up. If you didn't know her, you've been robbed. One of the finest people you'd ever know. She taught us boys. She was the great example. My dad was backslid. My sister wasn't. She lived for God. My sister taught me morals. She told me, she, I take her when I wanted to buy a gift for Carolyn. Hazel picked the right blouse so I looked good. She knew how to make me look good. My sister taught me how to date. My sister who never married. But she taught me Proverbs, taught me dating. And then she taught me giving. When I got my VW as a graduation gift, we went out with a bottle of Western oil. She said, we're going to anoint this car, and we're going to dedicate it to the Lord. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? No, you haven't. You went by the Western oil. She did. Boom. Boy, we laid hands on it. Guess what? Three months later, I rolled it. I rode on Highway 4 outside of Brentwood. Guess what? Everything on the VW caved in except the roof over my head. I walked away from it with scratches. Found out I needed glasses, but it didn't kill me. 
because we'd already dedicated it to the Lord. Are you following me? We're talking about folks that had little or nothing, but you better give it to God first. And then my brother's the executor of the will. And, and we go, we meet in the conference room. She had four brothers and sisters remaining. Let's see, what did that, my dad leave me? I've got one of my dad's Bibles. That was my inheritance from him. I think our mother left us $500 each. Poor Okies don't have much to give you, you know. But Hazel, David's reading the will. It goes this way. This way the will has got to be carried out. Number one, pay off my stewardship commitment to the building fund. I'm thinking, good night. That's taking away part of my inheritance. Good, I give that church all the time. Honey, who, who, David must have consulted or something. And then the girl that graduates on Friday and the principal of Richmond High told my folks, your daughter tested genius, went to work on Monday for a dollar an hour for Greyhound and had to catch a ride because she didn't even know how to drive, but she paid half for all, all my folks' cars because she didn't want them to be white, trash, poor. So she said, Daddy, I'll pay half on all the cars, though you get to drive them. And then, and then she leaves all of us kids more money in any inheritance in her life, and she never made over $50,000 a year in her life. She's just secretary, you know. And then when she's 74, I finally fired her. Said, Hazel, you must retire. You must retire. She broke down crying. I waited to get her composure. I said, honey, why are you crying? She said, I won't be able to give like I've been able to give. I won't be able to give. If you died, would we lose any income, any service, or any time for God? How is God seen as first in your life, your possessions, your time? That's all you got to give. If you don't have money, you got time. You got a body. And let me tell you on these bodies, one bout, one doctor's visit might say it's over. I just had a friend of mine call me from Dallas. He's a multimillionaire. I think he owned five or ten hospitals uh, in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and the South. He had two jets. He flew around to all these hospitals. Paul was a wealthy, wealthy man. 76 now, wonderful, graduated from SMU, was a lawyer, and just a wheeling dealer in finances. And uh, he's talking to me, just lonely. And he started telling me about Elsie, a wonderful wife who'd become a school teacher. He said, Phil, it's been hard these last 10 or 12 years. I said, what's been so hard? He said, well, Elsie came down with Alzheimer's. And... Uh, for the last 10 years, I've taken care of her. I had to move into my mom and dad's house because I lost everything in bankruptcy. I had to move in my mom and dad's house. But I took care of Elsie. But for seven years, she had Alzheimer's. And the last three years, she's been in hospice. So for 10 years, I've just taken care of Elsie. And he said, now that she's died, I'm taking care of my sister who has type one diabetes and I'm our only caregiver he said God certainly stripped me of everything but I still have him he took Elsie's health her life and now my precious sister you see it all evaporates so quick what are you going to do with him while you can while you have health while you have the time and you young people I'm amazed at how many young people are busy getting nothing done. You get, and, and he said, remember your creator while you're young. So I ask you this week, in your small group, just weigh out this. Take your life. Be honest. Does God get five hours a week out of you? Five hours. There's your time. Come on, five hours. Is that it? Uh, does God get... What percentage do you give to God or even think about it? 
oh, we want your money. No, 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 no. No, the pro See, we try to get you to do this stuff. We want your heart, and only God could be worthy enough to get your heart. And when he's got your heart, he gets your body. When you give him your heart, you give him your time. When you give him your heart, you'll share all this fleeting riches we call possessions. It won't be a big deal. Because when you fall in love with him, he's not a burden to serve. I said he's not a burden to serve. But if he's not, every time we mention anything that calls for response, oh, there they go again. Oh, keep it. Keep it. Only you that love God. I'm going to a 97-year-old woman's funeral on Saturday in Fresno. That was a little tornado in a body that preached. She ruined every sermon I had on women preachers because she preached the night I surrendered my life. Oh, she knew, I want to live for Christ. I can't give him enough. She just finally died and flew off to heaven. It's going to be wonderful getting to heaven. We're going to walk on stuff people lust to kill and to have. Gold means nothing in eternity. You know, I know some people wise about money and stupid about eternity. They know every way to make a dime. And they're building bigger barns. And that night, God says, I'm going to call you home. Who gets the barns? Who gets the barns? Our Father, I thank you that you've given me a body to serve you with. I thank you that you rescued me young so that I could give you the rest of my time pursuing you, pursuing the God who pursued me. And I thank you, Lord, coming from such poor roots. I've watched my brothers and sisters, all of us, have a hundred times more than our parents ever did. You brought us from a mighty long way. We're the weak folks. We're the folks that surely you could not look better by attracting so many weak, poor, beggarly people. But you said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to let them come to the king's table and spend eternity with the king. My, my. I'm not going to share a room in heaven. I'm going to be in the room with Jesus forever. Money couldn't buy what you gave us in Christ. Oh, that will be glory for me. Ah, as I sang this morning, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory. Oh, and the half has not yet been told. You are a wonderful Savior. It's not a strain to serve you. Let us serve you better for the time we have, and let us rejoice that we know you and all your people. If they believe it, said amen. God bless you.